Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Alan Cumming, and welcome to my shelves. My shelves are sort of a museum of my life. I like to keep things from my travels that are, to me anyway, the very essence of the experiences I've had. Sort of portals, if you will, to a specific time and place. And the inspiration for stories and memories and musings. Here's my game of Kerplunk. For those of you who don't know what Kerplunk is, it involves a plastic sort of tube. Lots of kind of little different coloured plastic cocktail sticks and a lot of marbles and it's just the best game ever here's two place cards from a dinner I went to one of them says Alan because it was mine and the next one is the person who's sitting next to me it says Oprah and today I'm talking to my old friend the great filmmaker Ali Salim What it did, whether it means anything or not, and they did 11 million and we did 90,000, but we beat the per screen average, which, which put us at the top of the list and had the theaters calling him. Welcome, bienvenue, welcome. Ali Salim was born in St. Paul, Minnesota. And he was a very successful television commercials director for many years before moving into narrative film. And you're going to be hearing a lot today about his first film, Sweetland, which I was in and was also one of the producers of. He since then has made many television series, both as a writer and a director. And he's currently in London directing episodes of a new series called Secret Invasion with, amongst others, Olivia Coleman and Amelia Clark and Samuel Jackson. So he's doing all right. Ali, I have in front of me a bear uh, that is like a like a cheerleader bear. She's got a little bow on her head. She's got little pom-pom things attached to her hands. And she's got a little dress on and it says Minnesota Vikings on it. Does that ring any bells for you? <laughs> no. <None. laughs> well, I, I knew this was going to start with a trick question. <laughs> on the night that I was leaving, I think I was leaving the next day, I went to the pub with the crew and there was a, a lady at the bar, this nice lady at the bar. And I came in, I was chatting to people and having a laugh. And Joey, who was my assistant at the time, was with me. And this lady turned to me and went, excuse me, are you always this happy or are you on drugs? <laughs> right. That was that was her opening gambit. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm usually quite happy. I'm usually I'm pretty happy. I mean, I've had a drink, but, you know, I'm pretty, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm quite like this. So then blah, 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 chatting, you know, sitting down. To, later in the evening, she came over and gave me this bear, this Minnesota Vikings pom-pom girl uh, bear. And said, I want you to have this, Alan. And I was like, oh, gosh, you know, and she was an older lady. And I said to her, 
you know, don't you want to keep it for your for your like you know grandchildren or your children or you know people in your family? And she said to me, "Oh no, no, I get about six or seven of these a night because she got it from the." <laughs> You know the machine where you put the money in and it's got a claw, <laughs> a claw and you grab a whole load of things and it takes it over and you and and apparently uh, I didn't know this but that um, there was you know there's a sort of a crystal meth problem in that village as there is in many rural places in America and that lady was just like tweaked on crystal meth and she just spent all her time grabbing teddy bears from a machine in that bar. Unbelievable! I've tried <laughs> those machines my whole life and I've never clawed anything. But did you know about the crystal meth problem? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, you did. The, the first time Robin drove down, we were shooting at um, Franzen's farm, which was out yes. out in the middle of nowhere. And Robin got lost on those grid rural roads. And she said that nobody out here is growing anything. It's all just crystal meth uh, factories really? or labs out there. It's it was It's dark. It's a dark, dark place out there. We made it cheery. We made it cheery with our film and our presence. We faked it. Yeah. Why did you choose that place, Montevideo? You can't get away from massive power lines, those big, you know, uh, Ah, science fiction leg power line kind of things. And we were having dinner at my parents' house after one of our location scouts. And my mom said... Um, oh, I know exactly what you're looking for. I have this book called Death of a Dream, which was a photographic essay of the old Sears kit home farmhouses that dotted the Midwest and they were all starting to decay and, and fall down. And this guy from whatever, the St. Paul History Center, drove around Minnesota and Iowa and the Dakotas and and documented them. And I said, yeah, that's that's exactly what we're looking for, that kind of farmhouse. And so we took that book with us and we started driving our concentric circles again. And we would hand it to the farmers and say, we're looking for something like this. Wait, and wait. So the, 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 the houses in Sweetland were from a catalog. They're from like a catalog, kit yeah. Houses. Sears Kit Home. I didn't know that. Yeah, the yeah. Sears catalog. Yeah. I didn't even know they did that. And they were like $600 and they came on the train with everything, the nails and the hammers and everything. So you just, so you went looking for the houses rather than, that was what brought you to, to, to Montevideo. You were we, couldn't, kind of, no, we couldn't afford to build. And we had so little money because uh, we mm-hmm. had to pay big stars like Alan Cumming. But um, the, uh, yeah. anyway, we went, we went to this farm not far from the Twin Cities and the farmer was like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Why don't you talk to my mom? She's up on the up on the porch there. And we went up on the porch. This woman was 100. She was rocking in a rocking chair. And we said, here, look at this book. Uh, we're, we're looking for homes like this. And she flipped through it, looked at every single picture. And she said to us, why don't you boys go where these pictures were taken? And we, we looked in the back of the book and it said, Lacaparral County. And so oh, we God. drove out to Montevideo and there they were. So the so the houses we used in Sweetland were the kind of remaining Sears catalogue houses that had been photographed for a history book. <coughs> Are you all right? Oh my, God. oh, my God. Oh, Ali, that'd be terrible if you choked. <coughs> oh, my God. <coughs> Oops. I don't know what happened. I'm so sorry. <coughs> <laughs> I don't you worry. Sorry, I'm just laughing here. <coughs> I'm okay. 
Give me a second. <clears throat> I'm back. Oh my god, that was terrifying. Oh. <laughs> For me too. Oh my god. <clears throat> okay. God. So sorry. So sorry. I was so Do, prepared. Why, why, um. Yes, they were the Sears water. Kiddos. You got water handy. I do. I think the water was the problem. Uh, I can deal. Kill you. Okay, I'm good. Gosh, I'm that's back. So that's really fascinating to me. I had no idea. It's. In, I love this. Is what I love about this podcast. You find out all these things and about memory in general. That you start to talk to someone about a collective memory, and you find out all these new things. I love that. So, so that's a common thing in rural Minnesota, or indeed, I suppose, rural America, is that all those houses are, are kept yeah. houses. Yeah, like IKEA. When did you first send me the script of Sweetland? Was it in the late 90s or mid 90s when I was in yeah. LA? When I was, I met you with Susie, our friend Susie, because when you were directing commercials. Yeah, and I had her. a short, a short film that I'd made and you came to see it. That's right. And we went to have dinner and you were at the end of the table regaling us with stories of Sean Connery. And I was, I was so was taken I? by your life force and I realized that that's what this story was missing. That, that, you know, it was like this kind of grumpy Olaf and he talked to his horse in the story. And I had him talk to his horse in the script. And it's a terrible idea and it's a terrible movie. But I was watching <laughs> you and I thought, oh, my guy, my farmer needs a friend like him. And so I, I actually wrote the character for you or because of you, or, I mean, it was that night that we had dinner and I thought, oh, that's what, that's what this movie needs. And so then you went and rewrote it. Yes. And then in, you gave it to me in 98, was it, when you came to see me in New York? Yeah, probably 98, 99. Yeah. And then we kind of had a sort of a little swirl of trying to get it made around about then. And then I remember like saying to you, Years later, in the 2000s, what the hell? We've got to get this film made, Ali. We kind of, it kind of put it on the back burner a bit. And then we just sort of re came back to it and just kicked ass. I mean, I, I carried it for years. I don't think that I ever moved it from one burner to the other. It's just I, I didn't know how to get the flame going. You know, I didn't right, know how right. to raise the money and I didn't know how to talk to people in LA about it, but you're right. People in LA were like somewhere between it's a period piece and it's an independent film and those don't go together. And it was a, it was a very poetic script. And I think a lot mm. of producers read it and said, I don't know what happens in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it was rightly so. I think it was actors like yourself who, who saw the, the life force that passed between characters and the energy. And I think that was exciting to you. I mean, I'll offer up that I think that was exciting to you to Yes, no, absolutely. to to do yeah. something on on that plane. And um and you're right. It was it was finally in the spring of 2004 that um some people I had known I think they were just tired of me talking about it for 15 years and they finally stepped <laughs> up and they put down the first $100,000. And I'd never had a penny you know, for it. And so that was very exciting. And then they wrote letters to their friends and said, we're in this, we want you in this. And we had the money in eight weeks. God, isn't that funny? It was right. It was like 
it's like there's no place like home. It was already it's like it's in your backyard the entire time. Yeah. It was like 2005 we shot it. Four, 2004. And, 2004, sorry. Yeah, October. And um, I, came, I was doing something in Vancouver, shooting in some Vancouver. And I remember get, doing Minnesotan accent classes on the phone with the accent lady from Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved that little town and I loved making that film. It was a great little town. And it had that, um, some progressive guy, uh, Patrick Moore, had moved from St. Paul to get his family out of the big city. And he moved them to Montevideo and he opened that little coffee shop. And yeah. it was like a, a, a left-wing political organic coffee shop. It was the only place within a hundred miles that was like that. And I know I think we were he, practically stuck to it. Yeah, we were stuck to it. I think Loved he told it. me yeah. that that if he made five thousand bucks a month in revenue, he was doing okay. And the month we were there, he made sixty five thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. You know what I always uh, uh, love about thinking about um, Sweetland is all my children. Because I had Alex Kingston played my wife and we had, I think, nine. Was it nine children or ten? Well, the, in the script, you never know how many you had. I think we cast nine. There was one scene where we had to bathe them all. And uh, <laughs> Alex had to bathe, <laughs> bathe every single child from like our hunky 19-year-old uh, downwards. <laughs> And it Actually, was just, it was the reverse. You always oh, gave it? the ba- you gave the baby the clean water. Oh, you did. Yeah, yeah. And then what? you would go up, and then dad would take. Uh, dad would either take a dirty bath or fill the tub again. It was that was a that was a hilarious day because I just Alex and I couldn't look at each other uh, whilst that was happening, yeah. <laughs> especially when you got to the hunky nineteen year old, which was yeah. having to sort of put a sponge all over. Um, but uh, and also, do you remember when we were we had a a, a party halfway through the film, in a, in a in a and it was a roller skating party. I wasn't invited. <gasps> what do you mean? No, I don't know. I I probably just didn't go. I probably was like rewriting or some crazy thing. I don't. But I remember that everybody went, and I remember I was terrified that somebody was going to break something, their wrist or their <laughs> yes. ankle, and yes. and then and then what would we do at that party? I remember thinking. Uh, I heard myself say something. I thought, oh my God, what the fuck has happened to me? Because we were, this lady was there and she's going, oh, it must be very quiet for you living here, being here after living in New York and everything. And um, uh, Alex went, oh no, no, it's, you know, it's having a lovely time. And, and, and like, you know, tomorrow, for instance, we're, we're driving for an hour uh, to go to a Target. And then I said, and later we may be going to a restaurant. And I heard myself say that and I thought, we've got to get out of here. (laughs) And when we went, we got to the Target, having driven for an hour and caused a bit of a scene, I have to say, in Target. And at one point, (laughs) this person came running up to me and went, Alan, Alan, you know, would you sign this for me? And I went, oh, okay, what is it? What is this I'm signing? And she went, oh, it's the prescription for my little brother's pink eye. That's what she had me sign. And I went, oh, okay. Obviously, reaching for the hand sanitizer, but I didn't have any hand sanitizer at the time. But, you know, I thought, oh, my God. And then she said to me, you know, I can't believe you're here. And I said, I can't believe I am either. (laughs) (laughs) But do you know the other great thing about being in in a rural area 
in Minnesota, in the in the middle of America, in Minnesota, with all kind of you know what do you call it, corn fed Scandinavian boys, where they are brought up, is that there, there was a farm, a sort of a, what do you call it, a farm supply shop next to the hotel, Fleet Farm, and Fleet Farm, what? Fleet, Fleet Farm, Fleet Farm, yeah. That's I the could, name of the shop. I had to drag you out of there. Oh, I love that shop. I know you do. And I have still to this day, I have a, like the great thing is because, uh, you know, everyone in all those people, I'm talking about these corn fed, big Scandinavian uh, boys are all like, you know, extra, extra large. So me being a medium, I'm a medium, but what they do is they change the sizes so that, that I was actually an extra, extra small in Minnesota (laughs) because they must change, (laughs) they must change all the sizes so that the people who are extra, extra large don't feel, you know. Yeah. That they're being discriminated against. They're mediums. Yeah. So I, medium. and of course, yeah. nobody buys any extra, extra small things because there aren't people like that there. So I, I lucked out. I just got all these things for like $5. I've got a, a, a Carhartt, uh, they don't call it a onesie. They've got, it's a big padded suit with a zip up it. You know, sort of, I would call it a onesie, but it's called a, what would you call that? An overall or something? A padded overall? Yeah, cover, coverall, coverall. Coverall, coverall. Yeah. $7. $7. Seven dollars. Yeah. That's how much it cost yeah. me because it was on the sale rack because it was for a, a skinny person, and I still use. It's perfect for skiing, and also when I wear it uh, up here in the in the Catskills where I'm talking to you from right now, I and I wear it down to town. I get admiring glances from like mechanics and farm people. It's like a, a sort of an unspoken thing of, you get it. You're a car because you know you know quality when you see it. <laughs> but I just love that shop. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I remember you went in there all the time. <laughs> well, I do love a hardware shop at the best of times, but you know, when there's clothes involved as well, it's like a double whammy. Yeah. Tom Fordyce, I never would have met you if it hadn't been for we didn't start the fire. Katie Puckley, I thought I didn't want to learn anymore. I was wrong. And you know why we're learning so much? Oh man, that's a tough one. This is a really interesting story. In 1949, 1950, the communist troops came to my province. Because this is the best history podcast you've ever listened to in your entire life? What? What? They shot him live in front of the whole village. My mouth is just hanging open. I can't believe this. And yes, it's sort of based on Billy Joel's song, but it's a history podcast. Tells us all the reasons why the world today is as it is, but it's more. I killed a cactus (laughs) recently. My connection to Marilyn. Walter Winchell. Don't you love Brando? If there was a movie, it was just Brando's face. I'd put it on in the background all day. I'd be perfectly happy. Search for We Didn't Start the Fire. We'll wait for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In Sweetland, there's a, a a baseball scene, and I know you are a big baseball uh, what aficionado? Would you say? Uh, you know, it, it, I, I'll wait for your question. But my boys taught me to love baseball. I, I didn't love oh. it growing up. It's when my boys came along and they loved it. They taught me not only to love it, but 
the intricacies of the rules. So I owe it all to them. Well, well, it was actually your boys who taught me because I had to, I mean, I had to play baseball. There's a sort of after the church scene where everyone goes out into the garden outside the church and has food and they play a game of baseball. Now, I didn't have to do very much. I think I'd like hit it one time. Well, that's probably all you got. That's all you're able to use in the film. But I went with your sons to a baseball, is it called Little League? Is that right? Yeah, Little League. Yeah. What does that mean? It's where the young kids play, Little little League. Oh, it's and, just little and, people. Yeah, no, for, you know, I think it's like five to 11 years of age. And then when they're 12, yeah. they go to Babe Ruth. Oh, Babe, uh, Babe Ruth, Ruth is actually the name of, he gets. Uh, the league. They've, they've, got, yeah. they've yeah. named it after him. Yeah. Why did they name Little League after someone? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, you went with my sons. Yeah, I went for the sons to the, and we were sat on the bleachers and there was some game going on and they were sort of trying to tell me, you know, what was happening. And like, I'm one of these people, I, I look at baseball and I just think, it's kind of like rounders. And I know that's very insulting, but um, they were explaining to me all the rules and I was just overwhelmed. And uh, and also thinking, you know, this is so cute. So I'd love, it was lovely because I was just loving spend time, time, spending time with them and them, you know, being so passionate about it. And also thinking, I want to say, I'm probably only going to hit the ball once, and it's, you know. <laughs> It's not, we don't have to be this detailed about it, but it was so endearing. And I actually, I don't know. I kind of got a glimpse of how important and what a big, I, I kind of understood baseball, not in the rules and the intricacies of it and all that stuff, but just in terms of how it's a very emotional game for so many Americans. It's true. It's true. And it's, uh, what, what is the French philosopher who said, if you, if you want to understand America, you have to understand the rules of baseball first. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, I get what he's saying because it is, it's such an American game. Um, and you know, that was my, both of my boys, that was their first IMDB credit is baseball consultant. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. <laughs> For that afternoon on the park bench. Ah. Uh... That's hilarious. Yeah, but they both still play baseball. They're, they do. Max is 34 and Alex is 30, and they both still play on the same team. Shut up. They're not 34 yeah. and 30. They're 34 and 30, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Know. I'm old. When the film came out, so this film, it was, it was distributed in an unusual way. This film sort of got lost um, between the cracks a little bit. I think people didn't quite know what to do with it. Somebody told me it was a review film and that you can't distribute a film hoping that it gets good reviews. And there was no marquee, you know, starring whatever, yeah. Mel Gibson. Um, and and so it ended up being distributed by Jeff Lipsky, who he, he was the founder of October Films and he had run the Samuel Golden Company for many years. And he retired and became a filmmaker and I met him in at a film festival in Portugal where his film was showing and my film was showing and we became friends and he was he liked the film a lot and he said we have to get it out there and so he did it he he came out of retirement and he did it for us and and some of our investors put up money so that the film could get distributed but he was very smart about because he knows the business, you know, and he, yeah. he, he did five cities first 
one at a time so that each city could build on the last. And he gave them like a reason. And I think the the first weekend we opened, we beat the per screen average of Miramax's The Queen. <laughs> and, <laughs> Take that, so, Helen Mirren. Right? But it what it did, whether it means anything or not, and they did 11 million and we did 90,000, but we beat the per screen average, which, which put us at the top of the list and had the theaters calling him. And right. so he yeah. very cleverly then, you know, leveraged that and got the film. Ultimately, ultimately we had 300 prints of that little independent wow. film floating around 300 theaters at one time. It was huge for a little it film was, like that. It was incredible. And yeah. and didn't, wasn't there like, wasn't there sort of like the, the tra- traffic stopped in the center of, of, of um, Minneapolis? The theater had to get uh, police to direct traffic <laughs> for the film. I just love that. Yeah, what I a story. I absolutely adore that. That's so hilarious. I've ne- it's, it seems like such an old school thing that happens in like the 20s. The police are called yeah. in because a film is so wildly popular that the traffic snarled. Yeah, yeah. It had a life like that in, in interesting little pockets. I mean, it, it wasn't a national sensation by any means, but... It ended up playing in St. Louis for almost a year on a first-run screen. Wow. And another place that it was wildly popular was Encino. <laughs> and and there, were, there weren't police directing traffic, but there were lines around the block in Encino because a Hispanic drive-time radio host talked about how it was their story of wow. immigration and language barriers and... And wow. so you would go there to just to drive by and see what it looked like. And there would be lines of, of Spanish-speaking people who didn't speak English who were going in to see this English-speaking film that wasn't subtitled. It was crazy. But people, wow. the people who loved it, loved it. You know, when I look back on it, it's this perfect sort of triumph, this little beautiful film that was difficult to get off the ground was made against all the odds we shot it it had this kind of bizarre run in the terms of the way it was sold and how it came out thanks to jeff and then we go to the independent spirit awards and we win the best first feature yeah i mean what are the chances fairy tale it was a fairy tale it was wasn't it yeah. yeah, we had incredible in reviews, like loving reviews. And it's maybe it's why I haven't made another film. Like, how could I ever, ever meet that? So, Do you think? Uh, I mean, I think uh, I've been working in television and, you know, it's hard to make an independent film. And, and uh, but yeah, it was really special. Um, I, I, it feels so much nicer to be getting an award as a producer than an actor, I have to say, because... Uh, as a producer of this film, I feel so passionate about it. I felt so passionate from the moment I read it. And sometimes as an actor, you just do things to earn money so you can feel passionate about other projects. And um, I, I feel very passionate that this man is the next great American filmmaker. His name's Ali Salim. Every heartbeat of every actor and everybody on the crew contributed to that what it was. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It was beautiful. It really, it was a, a magical thing like that. 
Do you know one thing I always remember? Remember when the the first day I shot on it, where I had to uh, drive a Model T. Is that what you call it? The, the car, uh-huh. the old car. Uh-huh. Or was was Tim driving it, and I was on the passenger seat? I can't remember. Anyway, I remember it was so cold, and uh, the Model T sort of basically like a you know like a golf cart, but it sort of open a little bit or, or, or sort of. Um, and it was so cold and I was squeezing my legs together so much because I was so cold that I, I bruised my knees. I had these massive bruises on both my knees where I'd been squeezing them together so much because I was so cold. That was my injury. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had no, you were driving. Out. You were driving because you, you, you I was were driving, kept looking yes. back at the, at the pretty girl. And, uh, oh, and everyone was worried it was going to crash. That's right. That was another Montevideo story about you know, how that film came together and how the energy of the, the town really made it what it was. We, we were walking down the street one day, location scouting, trying to get a sense of how we were going to make this period piece film happen. And this guy stopped us and he said, say, uh, I've got a, a garage full of pristine restored Model T cars. And we were like, really? And he said, how much will it cost me to get them in your film? <laughs> Oh my God, you're like $75,000. Today, it's free. And <laughs> he opened up this garage. He had like a museum. There was a, a museum of Model Ts in that town and he would just bring them out. He brought one out for you. He brought one out for Ned Beatty. He had that tractor for you. I mean, the whole thing yes. just came out of his little museum. That's incredible. And because yeah. and, and, there's also in the, the centerpiece of the film is this massive sort of like harvest scene and uh, with, with all these incredible uh, sort of period, what are they called? Threshers and things yeah. and harvest machine. Where did you get them? There's like a thresher's museum in the town that, if I remember correctly, was run by the 35-year-old music teacher at the high school. <laughs> and he just felt it was important that kids could always see this stuff from their their heritage. And so he restored it and... He had a show every year to raise money and same thing. He came to us and he's like, what do I got to do to get this in your film? God, you could have financed your next film with all that cash that we're offering. I know, I know, yeah. I'm sure it would have a lot. Do you know what's also lovely in that that scene is that Honey, my dearly departed dog, uh, is in it. And like she plays my dog and there's a, it's it's kind of the money shot of the whole movie. It's a big wide shot of the whole harvest, and everyone's there's lots and lots of um, extras and people, you know, doing kind of rurally farmy things. And I walk right through it, and uh, as my little um, farmer friends, and, and I and I have Honey, my dog, running beside me, um, being very well behaved because I've got like treats in my in my pocket of my jacket. Yeah, and it's just a it's such a lovely. I just love the fact that she's in that movie. Yeah, she did look at the camera once, but <laughs> I taught her that. <laughs> now she was such a great dog in terms of uh, as an actress, actually, or as a model. I know, I know, this sounds insane, but she was. I, I, and I'm sure it's something she picked up from me. But like, if I t- was trying to take a picture of her or doing a video or something with her, and I didn't get it, like I looked at the at the camera and went, "Oh, I didn't." I would tell her to do it again, and she would. She understood the concept of repeating, uh, faking it, basically, for the camera. Interesting. Ali, this was great. I really love talking with you and remembering what is an absolutely magical uh, experience and memory in my life. I really, I loved you. I love this film and I 
think so fondly of that time in in uh, in Manti, which is what was short for Montevideo in uh, in Minnesota. And also, I've always got this uh, Minnesotan Vikings pom pom girl bear given to me by a crystal meth uh, user lady, uh, you know, on my shelves to always commemorate the experience by. Do you mind if I tell one quick story that Please. ties into your bear, which is um, there's this this misunderstanding about the phrase Minnesota nice. People think that it means in Minnesota, everyone's nice. But what it really means is this sort of uh, Scandinavian um, uh, harsh uh, criticism disguised as a compliment, which is like in the movie, Minister Sorensen says, uh, coffee's still black. It's a waste of beans, right? <laughs> and uh uh, there's a lot of that in Minnesota where people say something that's kind of biting, but it sounds kind of nice. And I just wanted to clarify for you that when the woman turned to you and said, are you always this happy or are you on drugs? In Minnesota nice, what that means is, yeah. could you shut up? We're trying to have a conversation over here. <laughs> oh, I see. I thought that was just an endearing. <laughs> oh, so she's telling me just like, shut it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's burst my bubble. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put this little teddy back on the shelf now with a completely different understanding. Good. That maybe she came in maybe she came and gave it to me as a sort of because she was um you know, to to, to um make up for the fact that she'd bitch slapped me, but I didn't even know I'd been bitch slapped. Yeah, she felt bad. That's my interpretation, but might be might be different for her. And I, I just want to reiterate I feel the same way. I just gush with love for you and our time together and uh, such a special project so thank you uh, well thank you Ali and thank you for uh, coming on Alan Coming Shelves today and lots of love to you and uh, Robin and I'll uh, see you down the line and to you and Grant too bye bye well it's now time to put my little teddy back on its place <laughs> On Alan Cummings' shelves, it has a whole new resonance now. <laughs> I hope you've had a good time listening to me and Ali. I uh, hope you weren't too alarmed by his coughing fit. And I'll see you next time for another Walk Down Memory Lane on Alan Cummings' shelves. Take care. Alan Cummings' shelves is hosted by me, Alan Cumming, duh, and produced by the lovely Jack Claremont. We are part of the ACAST Creator Network and the Crowd Network too. We just love networks. Another Crowd Network podcast to check out is Death of a Film Star. These are the stories of Hollywood icons like Heath Ledger, Carrie Fisher, Robin Williams and more. They're beautifully written episodes all around 25 minutes long and they pay tribute to some of the greatest actors that have ever been. The episode about Chadwick Boseman is brilliant. So check it out. Just search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. <laughs>